there is a bit of misconception out there or just lack of understanding. So right from the outset, a lot of times when we get introduced into a business owner or client, they don't really understand the difference between what an accountant does and what a CFO does. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Exit Is Now podcast with me, your host, Scott Snyder. Got a couple of friends in town uh, that I'd like to share an experience uh, with you guys today. So um, I have Darren Michael in from Focus CFO, longtime CEBAs. In fact, you became a CEBA during like COVID, COVID yeah. during the first ever 2020, right? So the first exactly. ever virtual program. So what was that like? Um, well, I didn't know any different. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess so, right? So it was... I had just joined Focus as well at that point. Okay. And so it was, there wasn't a lot you can do during those days. Right. I was on Zoom calls 20 hours, you know, 10 hours a day meeting folks and starting to build my network in Charlotte. So doing this SEPA program right. was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity to do it because yep. I couldn't, there wasn't much else to do. Yeah. But yeah, I always think back, I was looking at like when you guys became SEPA because you were 2018, Darren. And so you were like, what, were you in Chicago? You remember no, where, what we class were you went in to? Atlanta. On Atlanta. The week of Valentine's Day. I'll oh, never forget yeah. that. Was that good or bad? Was that good or bad? <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good time. Yeah, Atlanta, man. I always forgot. So Atlanta was also also kind of a, a special place in my heart too, or a memorable, maybe a memorable place for me, because that was the first program we had to cancel during COVID. Hmm. So I had gotten back from a family vacation, and that uh, Atlanta program was always like in maybe let's call it March. So that was one of the first we had to cancel in, in, in 2020. But so kind of an interesting, I think, bend to uh, fractional CFO type services, what you guys do at, at, at Focus CFO. And when I say that, I talk about you guys are also certified exit planning advisors, where I found maybe some of the uniquest part was that you take this bend of how does that play into value, which I think is actually critical path. Some of the most emerging advisors that I see in the EPI community are what do we call these functional specialists. And so how do I take CFO and think about it in terms of value? How do I take marketing and talk about value, right? This whole uh, mindset shift of income generation to value creation. So I think we have a lot to talk about. And so, um, and also I think there's, we were talking a little bit at breakfast this morning, like EPI is experiencing a lot of growth as well. And so are you guys. So you guys, oh, yeah. I was talking to my dad on a, on a plane ride, knowing that you guys were coming in. He remembers when you guys were like five advisors, and now you guys got like, I think, nearly 150. And so there's a lot of growth there. And I will say, too, it is a real honor. You guys have really been committed, I think, to the, the exit planning community, to the work of certified exit planning advisors. And the reason you guys are in town, because you're our first formal uh, official strategic partner in our new program that we debuted uh, here at EPI and, and for the community. So, so thank you for that. I think a honored, lot of big, honored to do that. A lot of yeah. big things. Definitely our pleasure. Yeah. So let's dive in uh, to a little bit of background, too. So for me, and I want to come, I was talking to you guys a little bit pre-show, too. I want to, I'm a business owner, so I'm probably also could be a client of yours, right? Because we don't, we don't have a fractional CFO. Is he going to be yours or mine? I know you guys are going to, you guys are going <laughs> to debate. <laughs> but it, uh, in, in all honesty, uh, it's actually probably, the role probably falls to my dad a little bit. I mean, that's one of the roles that mm-hmm. he plays. Uh, uh, but I don't know if he's as you know, qualified for that role as a specialist, right? So it's something that Dad and I have tossed around as well. But I found interesting uh, about you, Michael, is that you got you actually sold a business. So yes. you're an exit, you're an exited owner. 
I'm an exited owner. So talk to me about that. What is that like? And then does that help you interact with your owners a little bit better? Because you know how it goes. Oh, absolutely. And even forgetting about the exit for a moment, just having run built a business basically from, you know, de novo up to yeah. the point where I was able to sell and going through a couple of different market cycles, I have, I'm covered head to toe with battle scars. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, fortunately, I think at the end of the day, I made a few more right decisions than wrong yeah. decisions, but I made a lot of wrong decisions yeah. along the way. And so those battle scars are actually, those are the ones that are most interesting to business owners. Yeah. Hearing about yeah. the mistakes that you made and what you learned from it along the way. Um, so that part of it, I love, but then the, the exit itself was interesting. Now, my experience with an exit may be a little bit different than our typical client okay. because my business was VC funded. Oh, interesting. So I had yeah, that extra component. World, it, it was a whole new world. I had a real professional board. Oh, I don't know how professional, but there was a real board <laughs> um, involved in that. They were at least from the, uh, the VC community part of it. And then once we had this, made the, the, the strategic decision that it was time to do something strategic with the business, yeah. they actually brought in an investment banker in. Mm. And we went through a two-year process of just figuring out what do we want to do with the business? Do we want to invest more? Do we bring more partners? Do we want to be acquirers or be an acquiree of the business? And so we went through that process. It was informative. It was interesting. I also spent two years of my life with two full-time jobs, which was just freaking exhausting yeah, right? yeah. at the end of that. Um, and at the end of the day, we decided that you know selling it to a strategic buyer was the right move for the business. Mm. And then by that point, I was done. So I was ready to then, move out yeah, for okay. that. But to me... The, the most interesting part of then getting my SEPA shortly mm, after yeah. that was that I recognized that I had my exit path, my exit journey was one of many different op you know, options yeah. or journeys that you can take toward an exit. And with the SEPA, going through the SEPA program to help me is kind of fill out that, that yeah. perspective yeah. so I yeah. can talk to owners. But no, I think that's interesting, right? To have that that kind of experience now working with owners mm -hmm. who are trying to build value and transition and doing it yourself. Like we could probably, we laughed about doing a three-hour show. We could probably do another hour show around what that what <laughs> that whole journey was like. How long did you own that business then? Probably end to end, eighteen yeah. years. Eighteen years. Yeah, wow. yeah. So yeah, there's a whole nother it's show whole right other, there, right? Exactly. Which is very unique for a VC funded business too to be is in it? that yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So and and then Darren, I. Uh, what I, I was telling you pre-show too, what I thought was super interesting, you kind of always being in this, I would say always in the space of building companies, M&A work, advising business owners, but you had two like long-term stints, I think, 10 years and 19 years. And as a business owner, you heard me talking today at breakfast, uh, Josh Koza has been here eight years. So I'm like, I'm, I'm hoping for that 10-year <laughs> mark. But I always think that that, and maybe it's just me in, in today's world, I think there's a lot of people that you know every three to five years are kind of changing positions. So talk to me about your journey into Focus CFO and given that 29 or something years where you spent between two different organizations. Yeah, you know, the thing that, that kept me engaged and excited about the organizations I was in is I was just continuously learning. Yeah, you know, sure. I started out, wow probably as a cost accountant uh, and, <laughs> really and you know by the time i after those eight years were up i was literally running an operation um 40 million dollar operation yeah it's big you know and then as i shifted over into the next career i kind of started as um, a strategist okay a corporate strategist and mm. that led me up to a division cfo and later on a division mm. ceo mm. Um, so the challenge was an abundance. I mean, in the second 
career, we I participated probably in over 30 acquisitions or divestments. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, so we went from 650 million in sales to 4 billion pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that that's interesting too having that like big experience all the way down to like lower middle market companies that you that you serve today yeah. mm -hmm. and how vast that is. I mean, I I think the biggest thing for compl complexity for me as an owner right now is is scaling the business. Yeah. Putting mm -hmm. the operations behind that scale, uh, we have more people than we've ever had before, and uh, it's actually I think the, one of the biggest challenges for me too is challenging my leadership style. Like I'm really good with ten to twenty people, moving from like to thirty or forty people, I'm, I'm saying okay, what what needs to change in my leadership? Mm -hmm. That's again probably another show for for another day. So, but let's talk about growth. So we talked about us experiencing growth. So have you? Again, I was talking to my dad, and he goes, "Oh, it's so cool that they're coming in because I remember when they were just like." Five. But now you have, what, 130, 150 advisors? Probably close to 150. 150? I was telling uh, Paige earlier today, I think year to date, we've increased our associates by 40%. Yeah, that's Which crazy. is massive growth. Right. That's massive growth. Yeah. So what challenges do you guys have now? I mean, because you have a unique role. You're both an area president, right? And then also from a corporate standpoint, and a, like a, mark, a director I'm of marketing. I'm director of marketing, role. right. Yeah. Right, and Darren runs our exit planning practice. Right, exactly. So, so we both have those kind of hats. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know the the, you know I haven't been there as long as some of the other folks have yeah. been Darren, but you know in no in in seeing the transition, Focus Evo has gone through the same kind of evolutionary steps that most businesses go through when when it kind of hit that growth. Yeah. Um. And you know, in fact, we you know you mentioned EOS earlier. Yeah. Sure. One, one of the first real levers that helped us start to scale the business is when somebody introduced EOS to Brad Martin, our founder, mm. and. It was a you know it was a light bulb going off because mm. he's the classic visionary in EOS terms. Yeah, sure. For him to run this growing business now that went from <laughs> like a little yeah. a little practice in Columbus to a multi-state organization, right. it, that wasn't his DNA. So one of the most liberating things for Brad, and he talks about this all the time, was bringing it, finding that integrator, and bringing him yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So. So, Darren, you, were you? Uh, how long have you been at, at, at Focus? Because you're from Columbus, so we got North Carolina and Ohio here. Yeah, but. I, I've been with Focus uh, now for probably a little bit more than eight years. Okay. And uh, Focus growth is, the challenges are very similar to those that mm -hmm. a business owner has. Yeah. Um, we had to pivot our model, mm. first and foremost. None of this growth had would have been possible had we not had this foresight to pivot from CFOs doing business development. So we literally yeah. separate mm. content delivery from um, business development, and that sort of enables us to have a continuous pipeline of business development mm. without interrupting that. So otherwise, what would typically happen is when a CFO got full, they stopped doing business development. And then right. when time became available, they started it back up. But they were sort of out of sight, out of mind. So there was mm. always this length of time. Um, so that was sort of the first thing we did. We pivoted. Um, and then, you know, we had a great strategy, but, you know, only 15% of strategies get implemented. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, we realized that uh, our current operating model wouldn't execute that strategy and that's when we got into EOS and mm -hmm. and we will face even more challenges associated with adapting our model 
to our scale. We're bringing in people to do roles that we've never had before, mm -hmm. and it's working quite well. Yeah. Um, but you know, we had to build a business model that was more scalable so it could handle the growth. And we will continuously have to evolve that way if we want to continue to pursue that rapid growth trajectory. Do you have anybody on the Focus CFO team that's a U.S. implementer? We have several people. That are, that are implementers, but we, yeah. we actually prefer to have a a pure EOS implementer, but there are some Yeah, right? Clients, this is where I was going yeah. next with this, and, with this question. You know, and, and, and so we typically don't, but we do have clients that self-implement. So, yeah, self-implement. So well, that's kind of what we do here at EPI. We, we try to help them through that process. Yeah, since you know it. Well, you live it yeah. yourself, too, right? At, yeah, at we Focus live CFO. it, and uh, we have a yep. couple of folks that are continuously learning the process through EOS itself. Yeah. So I always laugh because the first EOS conference I went to I kind of took like a lot of crap from the EOS community. I'd say this, if anybody's listening, that's an EOS implementer. I know you guys are going to laugh with me or, or you'll be calling me after. But they, I was talking to them and they're like, oh, you're not pure? And I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not pure. But maybe I have a little bit, you know, because I blend it, right? So Gino was certainly without doubt as a, as a, as a business owner an influence for me. Mm -hmm. It was one of the first business books that my dad gave me alongside Vern Harnish's, well, not scaling up. I read the like the original Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. But then you have dad's methodology, the value acceleration methodology. So you kind of bleed them all together. Mm -hmm. So for me, EOS for us at the time, I was looking for a uh, system uh, that I could teach my relatively young uh, leadership team on how to be entrepreneurs, run companies, and things like that. And EOS was just a little bit more turnkey, I think, mm -hmm. for our team. But we're not pure. We like we like we love the level ten stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we use the scorecard, the vision track, uh, vision traction organizer kind of thing. Uh, so the tools within the toolkit, if you will, have actually, to your point, allowed us to understand a better data, b have better conversations, and c make quicker decisions. And right. so I think those three things for us, and by no means are we pure, and we're also self implementers. So I don't have uh, an implementer along alongside us, but we were introduced actually by Kyle Danner. Mm -hmm. uh, to the system. He did that that kind of vision day and everything for yep. us and um, kind of let us free, I guess. But nonetheless, it, it has been, a, you know, I think, a big impact. And I think of many owners of businesses as well. So, so the challenge the clients, our clients that do self-implementing have, yeah. um, they hit that trough faster. Mm. And it's longer before they come out of that because sometimes you need someone to reset you on an annual basis. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. um, because that's the one thing when you self-implement, you short-circuit the annual. Um, or you'll yeah. short-circuit yeah. mm -hmm. the professional development necessary to, to, yeah. to sort of continue. So that's what we see. And oftentimes that's kind of where we say, okay, now it's time. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. We have this like unique thing within our business, right, that is uh, like my dad asks, acts more today uh, in like an advisory capacity. So dad will come in. We have this company retreat coming up, right? Dad will come in and we'll run workshops throughout. Okay. So it's kind of mm -hmm. an interesting thing, though, because you know my dad pretty yeah. well. It's an interesting thing, though, because it's like on his own business. So we are, we do, and you know us, too. We use SEPAs in different capacities, too. So we're actually working with a SEPA right now to go through the triggering event for our own business. I think it's going to be an interesting journey for mm -hmm. dad, right? Because it's, you know, calling your baby ugly, plus dad's <laughs> also a fellow SEPA, right? So I'm interesting to, it's interesting, it's interesting to me to see how this kind of will kind of, kind of play out. 
So I want to kind of get into this role of, of the CFO. And I, I think as an owner myself, uh, when I think CFO, I think like a, 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 like a financial function. But what I like about Focus CFO is that you've taken this, this lean into, if you will, of that plus uh, uh, an approach to how does that create more value uh, in the business. So why don't you both kind of from your different perspectives uh, talk through the value approach to fractional CFO services. Do you want to start and then we'll go over there? I'm, I'm happy to start. Sure. So, and you're right, there is a bit of mis misconception out there or just lack of understanding. So sure. right from the outset, a lot of times when we get introduced into a business owner or a client, they don't really understand the difference between what, what an accountant does and what a yeah. CFO does. Yeah. Right. And you'd seen a, one of the images that we had created to help communicate that where yep. accounting is essentially a backward looking function, the rear view mirror, the rear, win uh, the rear window mm -hmm. kind of function where a CFO is out the front window, you know, or I use the, the analogy, um, your CPA, your accountant, your, your bookkeeper are all in the back seat of that old fashioned station wagon looking mm. out the back window. And so you notice how we've evolved. We, we used to tell the story that <laughs> it was like when you were growing up as a kid yeah. and you were in the Woody, the station yeah, wagon. Yeah, right, yeah, the Woody, yeah. 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 And the kids that were in that back seat had one perspective of the entire vacation. Right. <laughs> that and that true. perspective was far better than anyone else. And that is they knew mm -hmm. in infinite detail where you've been. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, then, you know, there was always one of the older children sitting up front. Mm-hmm. You know, so they yeah. were kind of the co-pilot, the navigator. Yeah. I do remember and, the and station so, wagon, though, man. My uh, buddy's mom used to pick us up from grade school in one. Yeah. And she had a silver Chevy station wagon. And me and uh, my buddy Steve would sit in the back, the very back seat. And look, it's always kind of weird when you pull up to a stoplight. Did it have the simulated wood panels? No, it didn't have the wood panels. It was just like a silver bullet, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was always a little weird because you would pull up and there would be a car behind you. You'd just be staring at the staring. people. That was always kind of weird for me, I guess. But but the interesting but, part is yeah. that that metaphor yeah, of, of the, absolutely. The, the station wagon with the rear seat. When I talk to owners who don't understand what a CFO does, I use that metaphor, and you can see immediately the light like blows yeah. off. What about so you mentioned the CPA? Uh, you know, taking a look a, a rear view, mm -hmm. right? So, how does the CPA feel about that though? Like so, do you compete? We we've, we've had this conversation. Do you guys compete with the CPA because it's got to be kind of a, perhaps an awkward area for you because they're typically really close to the uh, to the owner, also a numbers person, mm -hmm. strategy person, perhaps we the business advisor. We don't compete with CPAs. All right, uh, and, and let me explain why. Sure. Um, we are not tax experts. We don't profess to be. And we, if anything, motivate our clients to spend more time tax planning. Mm -hmm. um, we are not auditors, yeah. nor do we profess to be. See, we're fractional. That means we have a limited amount of time a week to spend with the client. That's we true. choose to spend more strategic for our time on more strategic actions that mm -hmm. are forward looking. Um, so we really don't, as a matter of fact, most CPAs will tell you the client becomes a more profitable client yes. for them after they've engaged with Focus CFO because two things happen. The tax returns become a lot easier to prepare because mm -hmm. things are in a better order. And secondly, yeah. the client finally has time to do tax planning, which is the CPA's value-added service. Sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so... Um, I, I think that's a misnomer. We don't compete. One of yeah, probably the top referral 
partners we have are CPAs, mm, that's bankers, and financial advisors. So is the 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 so is it from the owner's perspective where they feel like I already have a CPA and controller? Why do I need you guys? It's really that. It's just being uninformed. Well, That's no different than exit strategy used to be, right? Where or there are still some niche CPAs that will say to the owner, "Oh, I could do that for you." Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There's and, a little and, bit of and that. We always say, "Hey, I, I I can't agree or disagree with them, but here's the scenario. Let me paint the picture for you." We have, on average, CFOs that have been CFOs with 25 years experience. Right. They are not looking at what a CFO does. They were in the driver's seat. Yeah. They've right. got the bumps, yeah. bruises yeah. Uh, to account for. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't be sure that your CPA has that same level of experience there. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to find out. Yeah. We, we talk about three uniques, what makes okay. us unique, and one of them is, and it, ref, it refers directly to this, our CFOs have, as Darren said, decades of experience working in businesses, mm. not decades of experience working for, for businesses. Yeah. And that's a big difference, because we have an operational nature to it as well. The CPA just knows you from your, your, your financial statements, sure. right, sure, and sure, your taxes. Sure. That's, it. that's essentially it. So this might be, it just came to mind, but it might be going a little too forward, but you want to ask it now. So, because you mentioned we're fractional, so is there ever a point where you like the the owner outgrows you, where they need a full time CFO? Do you guys help them find that person then? Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a success story for us. That's yeah, yeah, that would be an ultimate goal, I think, for yeah. you guys. Well, there's right? two They've scaled so much. Two, we they get big enough where they need a full time CFO, and we help them get there. Success story, right. or we get them to a point where they want up having an exit transaction. And mm. th those are both success stories for us. Yeah, we you know we don't want to work with a client more than two and a half days a week. Yeah. Really? Okay. So we don't want our fractional service to extend beyond 50%. Okay. Hmm. Um, Why is that? Because that's the point of which it's too overwhelming for our hmm. Encore Career CFOs. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And there probably is a legitimate need on that customer's perspective for more. Hmm. Right, um, right. And so rather than us saying we can't give you more, we say maybe this is the time. And hmm. we've actually had, um, we have a client that, that was over 300 million in sales, and hmm. they finally, after three years of being over 300, hired uh, CFO, but they then took the fractional CFO and made them a board member mm, yeah, because fair. that was that relationship, that mm -hmm. trust, that advisory relationship that the CFO had with them that they wanted to continue. Is that a competitive edge for you guys, like in, in against your competitors? This this focus on value. So the firms start that way with a focus on okay, this is how these services equate to the overall value of your company, or is that something that because you guys, if, if you guys have 130, 150 uh, SEPAs over, what, 20 years of, mm -hmm. of being around, or advisors over 20 years of being around, I would say 25, 30 of them are, are certified exit planning advisors. So taking this exit focus, I just find it kind of unique. Has that always been the focus of the firm, or is that something that has built? So it probably wasn't day one. Yeah. Right. To, to be yeah, really honest no, with fair. you, you know, when we started in 2001, I think we could best be characterized as a turnaround firm. Okay. Um, most of the clients we had were in the bottom of our pyramid, which is mm. where their health, um, they were unhealthy. 
Mm. Um, but then we had to pivot. We had to put a strategy together because as we got them healthy, you know, every time a business is healthy, mm-hmm. you know what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. They want to grow. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so then we brought in the growth, and the growth naturally led us to value because that is mm. that next step after you grow your business. You start saying, well, now how do I monetize this either for me or for Junior or – Yeah, right. What's my next step? Yeah. And then we, we finally formalized that years ago. And you've seen our value pyramid. Absolutely. Yeah. It, and it, you know, there's a reason why value is the top level of that pyramid. Yeah. And it aligns perfectly with you know, the value, value acceleration methodology that you have. I mean, it's basically right, my, right side yeah. by side. Yeah, I think that you heard me kind of earlier in the show. I think that regardless of what type of advice, we're actually working on a white paper where we're talking about this large ecosystem. Because I think a lot of people, owners and even advisors still today, even a more mature profession of exit planning, still think that core team. And so you think CPA, you think uh, wealth advisor, attorney, Mm -hmm. folks like that. But if we can get everybody that's surrounded the owner, their own leadership team included, thinking about not just income generation, but value creation, I think it pushes the whole thing forward. So I just think it's kind of uh, an interesting bend. So uh, we kind of... I want to rewind a bit okay. because I want to know, uh, really, okay, I'm sitting here as an owner. What kind of feelings do I have when I'm feeling like, hey, I got to bring bring you in? Or is it really my advi- those core advisors saying, hey, Scott, I, I think that you need these services. But I want to save that for after the break. Okay. So keep that in mind, and we'll see you just in a brief couple minutes. The Exit Planning Institute is the authority in exit planning. With its award-winning process, the Value Acceleration Methodology provides deep insights into how to help business owners create more significant companies while blending and aligning their business, personal, and financial goals. EPI brings together the world's most elite exit planning advisors to form the EPI Community. The EPI community represents over 15,000 professional advisors worldwide, including its 5,000 certified exit planning advisors. These advisors include financial advisors, growth consultants, CPAs, attorneys, M&A advisors, amongst others who come together to expand their knowledge, create and innovate, network and relationship build, grow their practices, and better attract and engage business owner clients. Join EPI today and gain access to the community, content, courses, credential, and conference that you as the professional advisor need in order to harness the opportunity with small to lower middle market business owners who strive to grow a company of significance, thus having a highly valuable and transferable company. Follow the Exit Planning Institute on LinkedIn and visit earnsepa.com to learn more about the community leading the exit planning profession. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Exit Is Now podcast. So before the break, we actually kind of fast forward a little bit and we were talking about what the relationship kind of looks like and then the ultimate goal, which is to either A, exit and have a great, significant, successful exit mm-hmm. or move into a place where uh, where they're bringing on a full-time CFO because they need that. They kind of need that. Uh, they need that commitment. But I want to talk about what it looks like. So we talked about you guys get referred into by advisors. But if I'm an owner and I'm sitting on the leadership team, can you talk to me what kind of feeling I'm getting when I'm feeling like, ah, there's something missing in my business? Like, how do I know, maybe the better question and maybe direct is, how do I know when I need to when, need you guys? Is it a revenue threshold? Is there an, a pain point, a desire? It's, it's, it's pain points. Okay. Because revenue is actually fairly irrelevant to that. There's, there's, there's three 
main pain points. And obviously there's a lot of detail behind that. One is kind of what you guys are experiencing right now. We're growing. Yep. And they're starting to feel the the pain of we're now X million dollar business, right. but we're still operating and we still have the infrastructure and the systems and the processes and the people of half our size or a quarter of that size. And they're fall, and they're falling over the front of their skis. Um, you know, metaphorically. Yeah. That's that's one. Another one is is the opposite. Um, the business is, you know, there there has some concerns about how the business is performing currently. Um, they're bleeding cash. Their cash flow is not great. They don't know where it's going, um, et cetera. And, you know, are all my business lines, all my product lines really the things I should be doing, right? Mm. Th- things like that. So there's there's concerns about cash flow and performance of the business. There's a second pain point. Uh, then the third one is if they actually can pick their heads up out of the sand long enough and go, oh, where am I going with this business? Am I going to actually be able to sell it? Am I actually going to be able to retire from it? Whatever. So sometimes that's the concern. But a lot of times, so, you know, we're getting more business owners reaching out to us directly now as yeah. a result of that. But predominantly, they're, they're coming in as uh, leads are coming in as referrals from their banker, their yeah. CPA, maybe their wealth advisor who are recognizing that yeah. the owner is, is suffering or have, experiencing yeah. these pains. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So what does that look like? So I get in there with you guys and do you guys do? So obviously I'm going to lean into the value acceleration methodology a little bit. We know that when you start with a value growth advisor, uh, they're going to do some type of triggering event engagement. I'm assuming you guys have one for the fractional CFO stuff as well. Is that how, what, what's the kickoff to the engagement? We're typically doing an assessment okay. um, of the business and it's across all layers, again, of our value pyramid. You know, how's their foundation? Their, their accounting processes, all their other processes of the business, how they're doing from a health side, they actually understand the numbers behind their business, what's mm-hmm. driving it, uh, forecasts, et cetera. And then if, assuming that's all running, do they have a growth strategy? Do they know, you know, both operationally and from a financial perspective, do they have what it needs to grow? And then ultimately, it's, you know, top is the value perspective. Mm-hmm. Are they growing the value of the business in a way that an outside person would look at the business? So then talk to me about how that might overlay then with what we would call at EPI, this value growth advisor, right? So somebody like my dad, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, Darren, again, you know my dad pretty well, yep. uh, being a fellow Ohioan here, I guess. And uh, so my dad, I would say my dad takes a, a wide stroke around business growth. So I think you guys have play a function in that. So how do you come along a lot of these certified exit planning advisors, I suppose, that are value growth advisors, kind of like my dad or Sean Hutchinson, that are really taking a broad stroke to this is how we go through value acceleration. Yeah. And so, you know, going back for a minute to the the business analysis, that really is the equivalent of the triggering event. Okay. Um, and for business owners that are our clients, they get to experience that once a year. And yeah, we call mm-hmm. it our climb the mountain touch point. Yeah, I like this. I like. Yeah. This. Is this your marketing mar- marketing geniusy that that's, that's here? <laughs> we ran with it. The concept like was that. there, but yeah. <laughs> so I honestly, funny side story, real quick. I was like just doing my research, thinking about cool things to talk about, and I noticed on your bio first, it's like you're the Sherpa or whatever you guys call it, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder if that's a specific role for Darren. Like, is that Darren's <laughs> thing? And I noticed it said on yours. And then I, as I looked through other people, you guys are all this guiding light for the, you know, this guide for, for the business owner. Because I really wanted to come in and be like, okay, out of all the hundred and something advisors you have at Focus CFO, Darren's your Sherpa. Please tell me about that. But then I realized all you guys are Sherpas. So we're all it's guiding owners on this mountain climb. I <laughs> yeah. like it. I really do like it because yeah. I think it, it honestly uh, is a fun way to describe 
uh, what the owner's getting into. And there's, and there's two aspects. Of it. One, obviously, we are a guide. The top of the mountain is obviously the, the, the transaction, the event. Sure. But we're, in, we're guides in helping them get up there. Um, and it's not just necessarily the financial side. It's, you know, we, and since we've all been experienced, we've all been on this climb already. So yeah. we're doing it from the first time. So we're lead, kind of leading from the front a little bit mm. um, from that perspective. Um, but it's, you know, there's, there's the aspect of it that we're on the climb with them. Yes, absolutely. Right. We're in, you know, to your point, you mentioned embedded. Embedded, embedded yeah. We're, we're yeah. on that climb for whatever, however long that value growth period is, three years, yeah. five years, seven years, whatever. We're, we're side by side on the field with them in it for the duration. And, mm. and sometimes we're the ones that have to say uncle to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. It, it, you know, part of what we do is we want to check. Are we going fast enough? Mm. Okay, but wait a minute now. If we want to meet this objective by this time frame, we need to pick up the speed. You know? mm -hmm. So you want to go a little harder or you want to lighten up? And sometimes you're like, okay, we, we, we need to slow down because of this. You're outgrowing your ability to do this. And, and right. so that's the kind of advice. Mm -hmm. But we can only provide that insight. Because we're with them once a week. Yeah, because you're embedded. Yeah. Or at least once a week. That's such a great word to use. Yeah. yeah, at least once a week, yeah. yeah. So so you guys are coming in once a week to the owner's company? In most scenarios, what's like a, a, a typical scenario? And are you meeting, I guess, for me, are you going to meet with my leadership team too? Or are you just really meeting with the owners? What does that look like? Both. Yeah. That's okay. why we're embedded. Yep. Um, so I'll, I'll give you kind of a, a typical exit planning um, uh, routine. Yeah. So we have the CFO that's in there. Um, let's say once a week and during that time frame one of those sessions will literally be a full meeting where everyone is together um, and then as you go through the week you may start the day talking with the owner and you probably will end the day talking to the owner mm -hmm. but in between that you'll be working with the management team because they mm -hmm. have deliverables for that next meeting that right. you're helping right. them accomplish, you're helping them achieve. And in some cases, you're helping coach them into learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll come in sort of as that advisor only twice a month. So one is typically to do some kind of personal development teaching, a skill okay. teaching. Mm. Uh, and then the next one will be in that meeting where we all get together to say how we're doing so that mm. we can really nail that plan, do, check, act. Mm. Yeah, I think that you got me because like, you also talked about like continuing. One of the notes I wrote down for you guys, you said, I think it was you that said continuous learning, right? Yeah. And so for a guy that owns a company, I was telling you guys earlier mm -hmm. too, the average age of the leadership team is 31 and a half. So at almost 40 years old, I'm the old guy. But I'm thinking <laughs> about that education, though, that yep. educational component where, you know, could we not only be more knowledgeable about our own business, but could we actually be learning and growing as well as executives and, and, and business leaders? I think that's an kind of struck me with that. That's an interesting component, the educational part. We're all learning and growing together. Well, well, you, just, you just hit two of our four core values, mm. being Sherpas, both yeah. to our clients yeah. internally right. and true. continuous learners. Yeah, that's You, you true. have to think of it this way, Scott. Um, as a leader, you have a lot of responsibilities, but one of them is to be the best you can be. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can't be the best you can be unless you're constantly working towards and working on a better you. That's fair. Absolutely fair. Do you, do you think that most owners in your scenarios struggle with understanding their numbers? I can tell you it was one of my earliest yes. business lessons from my dad, right, was 
He used to, honestly, and if Dad's listening right now, he'll laugh. He used to literally ride my ass about this. I'd come and I'd have all these visionary type ideas. Dad, we're doing this. Customer engagement is this. Here's this. He said, and he would ask me something about the P&L, and I wouldn't have it as thought out or I'd be completely missing it. And he goes, you run the business by the numbers. All that stuff's good, but know the numbers. And I can, I, I can um, and this is dates back. He actually feels bad about this. So if he is listening, he's going to say, why did you talk about that? And I'll probably take him out for a cigar and a beer later, but I'm going to tell the story anyways because we just talked about this. Um, one of the things he said, and this dates all the way back to my landscaping company too, I could probably use you guys there, is I would always misestimate jobs. And that's probably because I was just young and naive and I had no idea, right? Because I was a guy that just threw a mm -hmm. lawnmower in the back of a, a pickup truck then finally five, six years into it was actually had some pretty robust accounts. But I would always, like the mulch would get me all the time. I'd estimate 200 yards and be 300. So I'd totally just eat it on the last 100. And uh, it was in the EPI early days we said, son, all of this is great, but you've yet to hit a budget in your four-year stint here. <laughs> and I said, all right. And as a, as a competitor, if I wasn't as competitive, I, I probably would have hurt my feelings more. But I said, you know what? You're right. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with it. And the next year, I hit the numbers. And then we've hit the numbers every time since. But I've also surrounded myself with other people. But I, as a young business owner, it was always a hard time. What are the numbers telling me? Uh, yeah. And so do you think that's a common thing for, for many owners? They're really good at their trade. Extremely common. Okay. So it's rare that you have a business owner that really fully has a grasp over yeah. all their numbers and, and know what their core key metrics are. Right. Um, more often than not, they look at financial statements and their eyes glaze over. And they may know a couple things. I mean, one great story. I had a construction um, company as a client. When I first met with them, I asked the owner about his numbers and he was able to, you know, yeah. rattle off to me what his gross margins were on his project. I'm like, that's great. How about net? What are you actually making profitability? Mm. He's like, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, well then how do you know you can actually afford to bring us on? Right. And he looked at me without batting an eye and he said, all I know is I, I can't afford not to bring you on. Yeah. So he had more of a gut. Yeah. feeling where he's like, I, I think I need you guys. Here. Goes, no, I definitely need you here. <laughs> yeah. And they really fall into three categories. Um, okay. um, and, and the last category is incredibly rare. But, but <laughs> you have the business owners that just know their sales. Okay, yeah. Because fair. they're practitioners. Sure. They are, are great at what they do. And to them, whatever problems they have, they can make it up with sales. Okay. I totally understand. Um, and then you have that middle group, which will be those that self-profess um, that they know everything about their numbers. And they do. They have at least made the transition from sales, sometimes to gross margin, and sometimes to profit. Mm -hmm. hmm. But where they have this weakness at is they can't apply it to what they should do next about it. I right? totally understand. Uh, yeah. And that's that third one, which is rare. The third one is rare. And that's the one that's able to say, this is where I'm at. And this is what I need to do to be able to do that. Because oftentimes the owner doesn't understand the levers they can pull. And hmm. by the way, in fairness to all business owners, these levers are changing rather dramatically, hmm. uh, especially in the past five years. We've had inflation. We never had inflation. Yeah, that's uh, true. We, yeah. You know, we've had supply chain disruptions. We've never had that. And I can imagine like in a, Darren, like in a more complex business, like a, like a, a manufacturing company, how that might, 
because I'm, I'm trying to compare it to my own business, mm-hmm. which I I'm probably sound like one of your clients, like super naive right now. Like I feel like my business is kind of simplistic, but I can only imagine like in a large manufacturing company where you have stuff like they're talking. I just got yeah. going when you think of these like levers that you could pull. There's just a lot going on there. It doesn't even have to be that complex. You could have been a distributor of equipment. Yeah, you're right. used to getting equipment in so many days, so your contracts are, you know, told Mike I'd sell it to him for two million dollars. Yeah, comes in, I pay two point two million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My contracts aren't even worded such that I can charge him any more than two million. And by the way, there's a penalty if I don't sell it to him. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so changing the dynamics, you know, based on, you know, hmm. hey, I'll, 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 the quotes today, but, you know, it's only good for 10 days. Is that something that you guys were looking at too? Kind of those, like, that language that's in some of these things that might absolutely like, like, hold yeah. them into a, because that's a hell of an example, right? Where I, I bought it for, why well, I, I told you I'd sell it to you for $2 million, but it actually came in at 2.2. Now I'm kind of screwed. I've had yeah. clients with exactly that problem hmm. along the way. And probably the biggest thing, even if they know their, their numbers to a certain extent, what they don't understand is, is the concept of cash flow mm. and cash flow management. So they may be growing well, and they're driving themselves out of business because they have a liquid. I've had plenty of clients like this, had a huge liquidity crunch. Hmm. Um, and they almost, they almost went belly up because of that. Um, even though their business top line sales were growing, they didn't know where the cash was. More cash was going out than coming in. Also, they couldn't pay vendors. And then to Darren's point, lately over the last couple of years, you know, especially if you have larger customers, they're extending the terms that they wanted to get. They were going to pay you for. Yeah, your suppliers are still on pretty tight margins as far as what they wanted to get yeah. paid. For. You, you'd pay them, and most business owners only understand cash flow from what's in my checking account at the end of the week. Exactly. Right. Um, and and, yeah. and that's a that's a big problem in any kind of business where you have inventory and supplies coming in and turning stuff over. It's interesting. It it, it worked at the early age. <laughs> sure. Right. It did. And then later on we stopped even worrying about it because yep. it wasn't a problem. Right. But where we get into trouble hmm. is and this is especially true in the Midwest. Hmm. See, in the Midwest for the most part, we are price buyers. So businesses grow in the Midwest at a much faster rate than they grow in the Southeast, for example, or in the South. You know, you'll look at business growth in Central Ohio, it's unbelievable Yeah, uh, how quickly they grow in the rate. And, but, but they're growing outside of their core business. And sure. their portfolio of their cost structure is very different. They're looking at that old gross margin. Yeah. And the gross margin, okay, looks good. <laughs> but they got twice as many people to service the account. They've got more people in the office dedicated to account. And so before you know it, they're not making, they've doubled in size and they have less cash flow. Exactly. Than they yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I do feel like I need to defend the Southeast now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, what are you saying here? What is it, Ohio we know more? Yeah, they start ganging up on them a little bit. But. Hey, hey, where's, yeah. the, where's the biggest growth in the country right now? I'm just I'm looking at the business statistics. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another thing that I think is unique to you guys, and maybe it's the exit planning uh, that you guys have any as, as certified exit planning advisors, and that's this this kind of personal touch that you give. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about the personal side of what we're doing because we just spent another 20 minutes kind of talking about business. But I want to talk about how you actually change lives. 
So we'll be back just in a quick minute, uh, and uh, we'll dive into that. For business owners, by a business owner. Walking to Destiny is your essential resource for understanding what makes your business highly profitable and significant. It becomes a business owner's handbook to know how to rapidly grow value and ultimately unlock the personal wealth trapped in business. Exit Planning Institute CEO Christopher Snyder demonstrates how strategic exit planning will help you achieve improvements today while positioning you to build wealth for generations. Secure your success along other value creators. Discover, prepare, and decide what your walk to destiny will ultimately be. If executed correctly, these strategies can grow a business owner's wealth by 10 times. Walking to Destiny, the second edition, the 11 actions an owner must take to rapidly grow value and unlock wealth. Get your copy today at www.walkingtodestiny.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Exit Is Now podcast. So a couple of things. We talked a lot about the business side, uh, but there's also a unique thing that I, I, I found with you guys is that you have this slogan, if you will, well, really right on the front page of the website that also addresses, I think, a much more personal side. And it says, freedom to change lives. So to me, that's much more than uh, the business side. We're really holistic. And, and maybe that's the certified exit planning advisor mm -hmm. in you as well. But talk to me about what that, maybe talk to me about what that means. So and, and as Eric said, a lot of us, we have been business owners ourselves. Yeah. We've been through this and, you know, I think we're fortunate enough that we've had some good exits in, in our past, but Brad, our founder talks about how he originally started the business. I didn't mind this. He was a CFO in a okay. mid-level mid, mid public company and their, their growth strategy was doing a lot of acquisitions like Darren was doing in his prior life. And he would be the point person working with the owners and it's typically with smaller businesses in that industry. And he was finding more and more is that those owners were wholly unprepared yeah right to yeah. be acquired and they were is you know sepa they were leaving tons of money on the table he had a lot of respect for them you know and everything that you know all the risks they took and yeah. blood sweat and tears and we're not getting what they should have been getting out of the business sure so that was kind of his star for us and that's really kind of the genesis behind freedom mm -hmm. to change lives at this point yeah no i think that that was again doing the research I guess I never noticed that on your website, and, and it struck me. And I said, well, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty deep and powerful statement, is that we're going beyond just creating a healthy company. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. going to give you the freedom. We're going to have the freedom to change lives. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, um, that's the way our model was built. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is an organization that is 95% built on folks that this is their encore career. Right. Mm, right. So yeah, they are true. conscientiously choosing to do something that they're passionate about doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so the motto is built around helping owners achieve that freedom. Mm. Yeah. No, that's just so, the encore career. Yeah. And if they don't share that passion, they're not joining us in the first place. Right. So it's a self-fulfilling value. Yeah. So when you're out. onboarding new folks, like that's something that you're looking for. Too. Right. Like, so you so. notice kind of that's our, our proposition to owners. Yeah. If you look at our mission statement, which aligns perfectly yeah. with, with EPI, which is to help build, help owners build sustainable, transferable value exactly. in, their, in their businesses. 
So I want to talk to you in, in kind of closing where uh, we're heading. It's something that's top of mind for me. A month or so ago, we debuted the State of Owner Readiness Survey results in the state of Minnesota. And the results are, honestly, it was like a deep breath. I was telling you guys off air during the break, it was like a deep breath for me because it showcases the guys like you that are out there in the market working with business owners and their teams that we're doing something right and we're moving that needle. Mm-hmm. And the statistic that perhaps many of our listeners have heard over the last couple of episodes that really sticks out to me is that we asked the owner, to what level uh, have you concentrated on your exit strategy? And it's like some attention, little attention, no attention. But one of the things that they can answer is top priority. And in 2017, in the state of Minnesota, only 6% of owners said, it's my top priority. This year, 28% of owners said it's their top priority. So nearly a third of owners within our surveyed group said that exit strategy was their top priority. So we were having some kind of talk over, and I want you guys to kind of share that insight that I think it's also due, generally I think owners are just more aware, right? If you looked over the last 10 years, there's just, there's podcasts like this, there's eBooks, there's white papers, there's, you know, shoot, probably 50 times more SEPAs out in the marketplace. There's guys like you that have a, a kind of a functional expertise that also talk about value and changing life. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in the market. But I also think is that the age demographic is 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 going down. You said, Darren, the new 65 is 55 or something like that? Absolutely. I think for baby boomers, yeah. 75 was the new 65. <laughs> yeah. For the yeah. generations after them, yeah. I genu- you know, everything points towards, for them, 55 is the new 65. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is, is baby boomers ran their business for 20, 20, 25, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. This next generation has a timer. That egg beater timer <laughs> is going yeah. off yeah. 10, 15 years at the most. And that creates a very different dynamic. Mm-hmm. If I only have half the time to run that company, that's half the time to create the wealth. Yeah. There's less yeah. of a probability that I can give this business to Junior now. I'm going to have to sell it. And if mm. I'm going to have to sell it, I'm going to have to make it more valuable. And so that sales transaction for them, they have a bigger awareness because the point is happening sooner mm. after their start date than, than it has in, in history. So I, I think that awareness is becoming out of necessity mm. more than anything. Do you guys find that they're like more educated? So I think that one of the reasons... Um, we're ranking high in our surveys as of recent uh, is because I do believe those people 36 to 56 years old, a little bit more open-minded to maybe what you're saying is how do I actually grow value in my company? How do I balance my life or blend my life a little bit? Do you feel like that they're a more educated generation when it comes to the stuff that we're teaching? Well, they're definitely more educated about it, but there, are, there is definitely a generational mind shift change. Yeah. I mean, Darren and I have kids that are all, you know, in their thirties or whatever. Yeah. I mean, hey, I know. Hey, hey. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Modern <in> their 30s. <laughs> um, but they very much embody or have in their core now is that whole fire mentality. Mm. Financially independent, retire early. That is in their yeah, mindset. Right? And retire early doesn't mean you know toes up on the beach. Yeah. It means I want to move on to my next chapter. Yeah. Yeah, they do have a like I don't say it's the same type of thing, right? We're the, of that generation myself, I think that really the, those are the boomerang owners where they're going to hang out for 10 years and every almost decade they're doing something, something new, different, right? Yeah. They're doing something different. Yep. So I do think that that's, uh, that's interesting. Versus 
the boomers, right, who yeah. were hanging on to their businesses forever because it, was, it kind of defi- it defined them. No, yeah, I'll give you a great example. We had a husband and a wife that bought a company, and we worked with them to transition the company to the two sons. Mm. But the sons immediately said, no, we want to start exit planning now. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. exactly. And literally, two and a half years later, we moved that company to an ESOP because mm. at the end of the day, for them to protect the employees and, and make sure the company stayed in the geography it was in, they had no choice but to do an ESOP. So they just did the ESOP now. Yeah, that's interesting, man. It's an interesting kind of applying it to our own business too, right? Because <laughs> it, it is. How, how are you, again, how, like we were talking even before the show, right? Me and dad, 51%, 49%, two different generations, and then two different chapters in life or phases in life yeah. where He's approaching 65, uh, and I'm approaching 40. I'd rather take the money that we're earning in the business, invest back in the business, and keep it growing. Where Dad's like, let's diversify a little right. bit. So uh, it's and then to your, you just got me thinking about it, Darren, when you talked about ESOPs, because we have a hopefully you guys experienced today a pretty tight group of folks here mm-hmm. that are all very passionate individuals, and I would say everybody has a a spirit of entrepreneurship in them. So we've had a few of our employees even express uh, equity, you know, how do I own something like the Exit Planning Institute? I want to I want to get in on this and I'm passionate about the purpose and the vision. So nonetheless, very interesting. I mean, two good examples of clients I had recently. One is um, a home builder we have and the, and the daughter is now taking over from the father, yep. running it. They didn't, when the father was running the business, they didn't need us. He was just one of those owners that just had full command <laughs> over the financials of his business. His daughter is not that way. Mm. So we were brought in for two reasons. One, help them tran- uh, construct yeah. the transition yeah. and, and the structural aspects behind that. But two, to be the right-hand person. Well, it's the education the and the mentorship again. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that really, I mean, I think that that's a, a huge benefit. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just brought on a new client just yesterday. Husband and wife team. They're 67, both of them. Mm. They're in, all they want to talk about is growth mode. Yeah. Oh, we want to grow, grow this business right? and take it up. I can't even engage them in a conversation about exit planning because they, yeah. it's defining them. They have no interest in doing that. We'll have to kind of slowly yeah. get in behind Change it. Change that mentality yeah. there. So, Yeah. <laughs> so we have a client that at the time was 82. Oh. And uh, every time we would sit down, he says, he says, yeah, 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 yeah. Ten years from now, when I get ready to retire. <laughs> Ten years. <laughs> and I would look 92. at the CFO and like, really, dude? Yeah, like, come on, man. <laughs> We're not making progress yet. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so yeah. luckily, after uh, 36 months, we, we did get him to transition the business yeah. to the son. <laughs> yeah, see? That's always interesting. I, there's always a story that my dad tells at SEPA, right, where he came in when, back in his Aspire management days. And the guy was like 75 and he, my dad was kind of sitting at the conference room, not like, you know, not like shouting it out to everybody, but talking openly about exit. And he goes, Chris, you got to quiet down. You know, know, I don't want people to know I'm exiting. And my dad's like, dude, you're 75. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, people love your customers, love your product. Your employees love working here, but they're all wondering what's going to go on because you are the business. They would like it to actually continue because they love this place. So you should actually talk more about it because you actually probably retain more customers and retain more great employees right. if they just knew what was going on. So, 
Nonetheless, gentlemen, uh, that is all the time that we have today. So I appreciate you coming in uh, and, and hanging out with us. We've got a whole other day here together So and dinner tonight. So we will continue the conversations. Uh, please subscribe, listen, and leave a review on all of your podcast platforms. We'll see you next time on Exit is Now. Thanks. <laughs>